Steve Lance, your host of the Capitol Report on NTD News. If you have not done so yet, please hit that subscribe button to stay up to date with all of the latest news coming out of the nation's capital and beyond. The U.S. economy added 370,000 jobs in June. That's far above the market estimate of 250,000, but lower than the figure in May, which was 380,000. Meanwhile, jobless claims reached a seven-month high at 235,000 in the week ending on July 2nd. It topped the market forecast of 230,000. And economists predict that job growth will slow in the coming months as recession fears continue to grow. U.S. companies are responding to slower demand, slashing 32,000 jobs last month. This is the highest number since February last year. The Federal Reserve is more likely to raise the target interest rate by 0.75 percent later this month. With a better-than-expected jobs report coming out, experts debate whether or not we are in or entering a recession. And there are many questions still being asked. Here to discuss the report and what it might mean overall for the economy, we have Bankrate.com senior economic analyst Mark Hamrick. Mark Hamrick, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Steve. Thank you. Mark, the jobs report was just released uh, earlier today, adding uh, 372,000 new jobs, outpacing the estimate of 250,000. Given the state of the economy, what's your takeaway from this report? I think it's a reassuring jobs report, Steve, from the standpoint of we're sort of on guard for the possibility of negative economic surprises. And that, for the most part, is not what we got here. In fact, we had a positive surprise, as you just said, with the number of jobs that were added to payroll. So there was a downward revision for the previous two months that subtracted 74,000 jobs in total. We're also seeing, I would say, a downward sloping trajectory with the number of jobs that are added with a 12-month average, a monthly average now uh, of about 524,000 jobs, obviously, over the past year. And so we're below that level. So, you know, with the unemployment rate at 3.6 percent, which we just had sort of refreshed in this June jobs reading, uh, it's probably reasonable to expect that we should not be adding 500,000 plus jobs on a monthly basis. At the same time, just a few days ago, we also heard from the Labor Department about 11.3 million job openings in the United States as of the end of May. And that's compared with 5.9 million officially unemployed here in the June jobs reading. So there's still a mismatch between the number of jobs that are open and the number of people willing or able to fill those jobs, but also at a time when recession is much talked about sort of in everyday conversation. A lot of the questions I get are about that. Uh, There is not a recessionary reading in this report. Well, that does bring me to my next question. Uh, There has been talk about a recession, as you mentioned, uh, that we are in one or could possibly be in one soon. Is it possible to enter a recession while having a strong workforce? I think it's hard to make the case, Steve. And just to your point, uh, we just completed our quarterly economic survey at Bankrate, which is a a survey of economists. And they said the risks of a recession over the next 12 to 18 months were heightened uh, roughly 50-50. And that was up from one in three when we asked the question just three months ago. But I would say, number one, that doesn't mean that a recession is imminent or guaranteed in the intermediate term. And it's hard to make the case here that a recession's already begun 
uh, when we don't see it in the jobs data. There are a number of different ways to get to sort of making that recession declaration. Uh, and we can make the point that perhaps output is slipping. We had a, 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 a contraction reported in the economy in the first three months of the year in GDP. We'll see what the second three months or the second quarter look like. But um, so far, I think that's that's often to the distance, however long that may be. And I might just add one thing there, Steve, and that is to many Americans, as well as people around the world who are suffering similar um, economic difficulties, the question of a recession may in some ways be irrelevant when they're experiencing historic and sustained inflation, because the impacts of inflation can be every bit as damaging as that which we get during a recession. Very interesting point, uh, Mark. We, we, we see these uh, record high gas prices, as you mentioned, incredible inflation when it comes to food and other items. I want to get your take on the housing market. Uh, what do you anticipate the mortgage rates uh, that are raising will do uh, to the housing market in the coming months? Well, first of all, we're already seeing a slowdown in the housing market, and some might say that's long overdue and to some degree welcome. Uh, we had a housing market that was unsustainably hot in the United States uh, in the course of the past, let's say, two plus years. And that uh, coincided with, you know, double digit percentage annual increases in home prices. And yet, obviously, we didn't have that extent of wage growth in our country. So you do not want to have a continued increase in home values when that's essentially essentially making housing affordability a calculation that's impossible for, among others, first-time homeowners to overcome. Uh, and so that part of the calculation is writing itself. You know, we saw uh, the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage that we uh, watch here at Bankrate uh, move from the high, or I should say low 3% range in December and January up to as high as about 6% recently, and then a decline here in recent days, rather steep decline as a matter of fact. Fact. Uh, and that's uh, reflective of what's been happening in the bond market and with fixed income. But what I would say is we should look for a cooler housing market here in the second half of the year and perhaps out over the next 12 to 18 months. That would be consistent with some cooling broadly in the economy. Uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because we want to have the housing market perform at a sustainable pace. I would also say that uh, there are problems with the amount of inventory that we have in the housing market. We need to have more affordable housing homes that are available at lower entry points on price, and we need to have um, better options for people with lower rents as well. So uh, those are contributors to inflation, by the way, when we have a rising cost of, as economists put it, shelter, and home prices and rents are essentially uh, how you get to that. Mark Hamrick, your insights always appreciated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. The House January 6th committee held a closed-door interview with former White House counsel Pat Cipollone today. The interview was recorded on video and could be featured at upcoming hearings. The panel is trying to piece together Trump's actions on January 6th and leaning heavily on witness testimony. Cipollone's name has repeatedly come up at the committee's hearing so far as he is viewed as a key witness. Our next guest joined us just a short while ago from an Alexandria, Virginia jail. Jake Lang has been locked up for over a year following the January 6th Capitol breach as he still continues to wait for his trial. While being incarcerated, Lang has been able to put together a documentary detailing the events that took place on January 6th from his perspective. Here's our interview. 
Jake Lang, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Steve, thanks for having me on. God bless you. Jake, you're actually joining us from the Alexandria Detention Center. Um, you produced a documentary from uh, jail. It's called J6 Truth. Uh, what are you trying to let people know, and how were you able to do this uh, from behind bars? Thanks for that question. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an amazing documentary that has resonated with um, over a million people that have viewed it so far. Um, and it shows the truth of January 6th from the protesters' perspective. Um, all these never-before-seen um, footage and views that, I mean, they're heart-wrenching. And it's, it's, you know, absolutely incredible that we were able to put this together. I have an amazing team behind me. Um, my father, Ned Lang, um, he's like the, the bedrock to this whole entire operation. And uh, I have a video producer, Brittany Mannheim. And, um, just so many amazing patriots came together sending thousands of hours of videos and you know rifling through it all and just picking out all of these indelible scenes that um i mean they'll burn into your memory banks if you go to j6truth.org and watch it um it's free it's about 45 minutes long and um it's worth a watch jake the documentary makes a compelling case that there are still a lot of unanswered questions many of which are not being asked uh, during these uh, the, the January 6th uh, hearings that we're seeing. Um, what do you think are some of the most important questions that need to be answered from that day? I mean, there's so many um, things that the January 6th Select Committee is just, I mean, not even questioning whatsoever about Nancy Pelosi, her lack of um, ordering the Capitol Police and the, the United States um, uh, National Guard to the Capitol that day, uh, not beefing up the the defenses there, um, possible FBI um, paid in, informants and agitators. Um, you know, we see, you know, the Ted Cruz questioning the FBI um, woman there, and, and they're just stonewalling them. And so there's so many unanswered questions from our politicians and from, you know, the FBI standpoint that uh, have not even been questioned whatsoever in the January 6th Select Committee. And it's, that's what really makes it uh, an entire sham, um, the, the lack of the questions being asked and the lack of accountability that we're seeing from our politicians. You just mentioned Ted Cruz uh, in your documentary. You do you do point it out. He, he asked a question whether or not FBI undercover informants or agents uh, were took part in any violence during that day. And uh, she said she would not be able to answer that. So that does raise some eyebrows for sure. Um, I think most people have heard of Ashley Babbitt, uh, the unarmed female who was shot in the neck on January 6th. But I have to say, when I interviewed you before, I heard you talk about Roseanne Boyland, but I never knew her story. Um, and I still wasn't that clear even, even after speaking to you about it. But you're, you told her story uh, in depth in the film. Uh, who was Roseanne Boyland? Roseanne Boyland, 34-year-old woman from Georgia. She's an American hero. She's a patriot that showed up unarmed at our Capitol to protest the stolen election. And um, she died that day at the hands of the Capitol Police um, through a, a you know, trampling that was set off by the Capitol Police, pepper spray, um, capsum spray, tear gas, um, beatings, that, that she was down on the ground. She received beatings from Officer Lyon Morris. Um, I mean, until the, the weapon that she was using even broke in her hand. And she died in my arms, Steve, and that's the most 
it's really an emotional thing and, and you have to see it to believe it really and if you go to the documentary and watch um, it'll blow your mind and it'll just be like why is there not a an investigation into her death why is the the murderers of the Capitol Police, why are they not bringing Bart to justice? Why are they not sitting in here with me? I mean, we've seen George Floyd and all these police brutality cases um, throughout this 2020 summer and erupting into riots. And those people that, you know, fought back against police brutality and stuff all across the country, they're being treated with kid gloves. Just to put things into perspective, Jake, you are joining us from jail right now. Uh, there's been a lot of calls from uh, members of Congress raising uh, concern over due process. Uh, you just mentioned you've been there for over a year. Where does your case stand? Uh, what is your situation? My case right now is, um, I mean, we've had, we've had an amazing breakthrough with uh, my judge, um, Nichols dropping my 1512 obstruction of Congress charge. I'm only the second January 6er to get that charge dropped. Um, I think that things like this documentary and the news media, like you guys speaking out and politicians speaking out on the sham of a J6 select committee and these blanket charges that are political in nature, like obstruction of Congress, um, are starting to actually come to the surface and being exposed for the, the lies that they are. So that was an amazing breakthrough. Other than that, you know, um, my trial is not until January 9th, 2023. I'll be a uh, political prisoner for over two years at that point, denied all my constitutional rights to swift and speedy trial, um, unbiased jury. We know that DC's uh, only got 4% Trump voters. And if you dare stand up against tyranny, you'll find yourself in one of these gulags um, in solitary confinement, being called a domestic terrorist, being uh, you know, held away from all of your, your guaranteed God-given rights. I just want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. If you enjoy our content, please leave us a rating and a review as it really goes a long way in helping us spread the truth. Until next time, I'm your host, Steve Lance at NTD, and we'll see you soon.